Our scripture reading this morning is taken from the book of 1 John, chapter 2, verses 19 to 26. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. Strong.
Imagine a church where every member is passionately, wholeheartedly, and recklessly calling the shots. I have a busy work week, and by the time Sunday rolls around, I'm tired. So how about a church service that starts when I get there? Can do. When you arrive, we begin. This guy, he plays by his own rules. We want to find a church where if he starts screaming, we're not the bad guys, right? Come here. Say no more. If your baby's screaming, you stay seated. The others around you can leave. You know, financially, Sherry and I don't give a lot to the church, but we'd sure like to know who does. All right, if you join now, you'll know what every person gives in detail. When I'm in the church service, can my car get a buff and a wax? Not just that, but an oil change and a tune-up. Hey, how about tickets to the Super Bowl? That's asking too much. I'm serious. If I'm gonna join, I want tickets to the big game. All right, you join now and we'll get you there. I like a pony. Look in your backyard. Me Church, where it's all about you. Hello, everyone. The video you just watched uses a humorous and somewhat exaggerated approach to highlight how individual preferences and perspectives attempt to shape church community. Nothing is more threatening to the unity within a church, within that church community, than prioritizing individual preferences and perspectives. Today, we are launching our summer preaching series, which we have entitled Christ-Centered Community, and we are basing this series on 1 John. 1 John was written to a community of believers whose unity was being threatened because of the rise of differing theological opinions, and the writer is attempting to get the community to focus on Jesus rather than the opinions that divided them. First John teaches us that when varying opinions and preferences threaten the unity of a church community, the threat can be averted by refocusing on Jesus. Pursuing Christ-centered community is actually one of our three core values here at EPC. And today I will be focusing on the context of 1 John in order to give us a better idea of what was happening when 1 John was written so we can better understand the passages that we're going to be dealing with in this series as the weeks move along. 
The first thing I want us to consider today is context. Following the day of Pentecost, the church began to grow and expand under the Holy Spirit anointed leadership of the apostles and, of course, the early church followers who worked with them, followers of Jesus. 1 John was written to a church community that had been established under the ministry of John the Apostle. Now, I say community because it was not just one gathering or one church congregation, but rather multiple house churches in and around the city of Ephesus that were a part of the same fellowship, that were a part of the same community. If you will, one church with many locations. Now, many biblical scholars believe that the seven churches in the book of Revelation actually made up this particular community. First John is addressed to a specific church community with specific problems and challenges within their community. It was written approximately 10 years after the Gospel of John was written and references many of the teachings that we find in John's Gospel. Many refer to 1 John as a letter, but the truth be told, it's not written like a normal letter would be written in biblical times. It is more reflective of an academic paper that sets out to expound on the teachings found in the Gospel of John, which have been taken out of context in this particular church community uh, in most recent times. The writer wants to correct these misunderstandings, but also he, he or she, they want to appeal to those who are faithful in order to strengthen their faith and resolve and to keep those who are considering leaving from doing so. Now, I'm using the term writer for a reason. John the Apostle was an uneducated fisherman from Galilee who would have spoken very rudimentary Aramaic. The Greek language used in the writing of the Gospel of John and the epistles of John is so complex that the person writing these documents would have been very highly educated and very familiar with the usage of the Greek language. Therefore, most scholars believe that John dictated the Gospel of John to members within his community of faith who were educated and familiar with the Greek language, and that 1 John was likely written by a leader within the community. Secondly, crises. There were three primary groups that made up the bulk of this community. The first group were those who were committed to and lived according to the teaching of the apostles about Jesus. The second group were those who had come from Jewish backgrounds and were struggling with the specific teaching that the apostles were proclaiming about Jesus that he was the Son of God. The third group, those who had come from Greek backgrounds, they were struggling with the specific teaching of the apostles that Jesus 
was God who came in the flesh and died for their sins. They were struggling with the humanity of Jesus. The Jewish Christians were committed to Jesus, but many of them were still loyal to Judaism and found it difficult to accept that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. They could not accept that Jesus was God. That designation, in their opinion, was far too high. Instead of focusing on Jesus and the work of the cross for their salvation, they continued to focus on the law and good works as a means of salvation. The Greek Christians came from pagan religious backgrounds, and they were heavily influenced by worshiping many gods and by Greek philosophy. Many of them were influenced by the belief that all material things, everything around you that you see, all matter, if you will, was evil. They believed that higher spiritual knowledge had been given to them specifically, above and beyond what the apostles were teaching, and that this elite spiritual knowledge that they had received was indeed the means of their salvation. Since creation, in their opinion, was evil, since all matter, material things were evil, Jesus becoming a man, well, that was a problem for them because God would never become evil. Some of them believed even that Jesus became God at his baptism and then departed at his crucifixion. A crisis had arisen in the community due to the rise of teachers who were teaching an understanding of Christianity that was different than the gospel taught by John and the other apostles. Thirdly, conflict. The crises turned to conflict because these false teachers were not content to keep their new beliefs to themselves. Some stayed within the church and they attempted to influence people to drift away from the apostles' teaching and were actually very successful with some. They also organized a group of traveling teachers or preachers who circulated among the other churches in their community and were successful in winning people over to their heresy in those places as well. Some of them set up rival churches and remained in contact with the members of the church they left behind, causing problems and drawing people away. 1 John was written to address this very conflict, specifically the teaching that Jesus wasn't really God and the teaching that Jesus wasn't really man. By addressing these positions with the purpose of helping people refocus on the true teaching of who Jesus was as taught by the apostles who had been with Jesus. The author bases his arguments primarily on the teaching found in the Gospel of John that was instrumental in forming this community of faith in the first place. There are two observations that I would like to draw from our introduction to our series today. The first is spiritual baggage. The issues faced in this church community 
were heavily influenced by the background, by the history of both problem groups. There is no question that our backgrounds, our history, heavily influences how we live, what we think, what we believe, how we react to situations, how we approach relationships. Well-worn paths are easier to navigate than forging into unknown territory. Now, this is not necessarily a problem, but the truth is it can become a problem if the influences of our past create baggage that negatively affects our relationship with Jesus and ultimately our community of faith. I personally was raised by two parents who loved Jesus and wanted me to grow up to love Jesus too. I grew up in a church that loved Jesus and wanted those who attended to live lives that honored Jesus. I grew up surrounded with good spiritual intentions, but mixed with an overwhelming reality of legalism that ultimately was not spiritually healthy for me. For the most part, I have been able to shed the spiritual baggage of my upbringing to discover a biblical version of Jesus that has radically changed my life for the better. Now, my wife grew up in a very different spiritual context than I did. And there were many times early in our relationship where I would make a decision or choose a perspective or make a declaration. And she would question me, asking me, why was I making that decision or making that declaration or taking that perspective? She didn't understand. It didn't make sense to her. And so on many occasions, her why forced me beyond the response of, well, that is the way I was always taught to respond, which was my first go-to, to having to really process and think about my perspective. Sometimes the processing would affirm my position, that it was the right position as far as I was concerned. But sometimes the processing would affirm that I needed to shift in my thinking because I was operating out of the spiritual baggage that I had been saddled with in my upbringing, and she was not and didn't understand it. There is no doubt that there are many special things about our upbringing that make a valuable contribution to our journey of loving and serving Jesus. And there is no doubt that there is also negative baggage from our backgrounds that negatively impact our journey of loving and serving Jesus. I guess what I'm trying to say is be careful that the lens through which you see serving Jesus is not blurred by your background to the point that it keeps you from seeing Jesus as he really is and living for him as he really wants you to. And secondly, spiritual arrogance. In our passage today, we see a group of people within the community of faith that claim to have a higher spiritual knowledge than others in the community. The result was a spiritual elitism 
I am up here spiritually and you are less enlightened spiritually, so you are way down here. This attitude threatened the unity within this community. It is apparent that this type of attitude existed from the very beginning of the church and continues even today with the same result. Never in our history have we had so much exposure to as much spiritual teaching as we have today. Podcasts, books, TV, radio, websites, YouTube. Everywhere we turn, we can find spiritual teaching. There are many within church communities today that are being exposed to false teaching because it sounds good, because it says what they want to hear, because it seems to make sense to them, and so they embrace it wholeheartedly. I've met many people in my more than 30 years of ministry who believe that they have been enlightened and have received a higher understanding of what the Bible says, and it has resulted in a lack of accountability and sadly, spiritual arrogance. Spiritual arrogance destroys community because it divides us. Those who are enlightened are on one side, those who are not on the other. Those who are enlightened are up here, those who are not are down here. And like in 1 John, most people who feel they are spiritually enlightened feel the need to pull everyone else with them. And so I encourage you today, I encourage you to read, to listen, to explore, to discover, to be stretched. But be very careful regarding who you trust, who you're listening to, what it is that's stretching you, what your attitude towards your community as a whole is as a result of what you are learning. True spiritual growth and enlightenment results in humility, not in arrogance. The more I study, the more I learn, the more I am personally stretched, the less I realize I really understand and know. Learning keeps me humble. It doesn't make me arrogant. Any teaching that influences us should always direct us to a better understanding of how Jesus lived, what Jesus did, what Jesus taught. The more we embrace Jesus, the more we will embrace his humility and the more unity we will experience in our church community. Every church community needs to be a Christ-centered community. In conclusion today, be careful that the lens through which you see Jesus is not blurred by your background to the point that it keeps you from seeing Jesus as he really is and living for him as he really wants you to. Any teaching that influences us should always direct us to a better understanding of how Jesus lived, what Jesus did, 
what Jesus taught. The more we embrace Jesus, the more we embrace his humility, and the more unity we will experience in the church community. When varying opinions and preferences threaten the unity of a church community, the threat can be averted by refocusing on Jesus. At this time, we're going to share communion together. If refocusing on Jesus helps us restore unity within the church community, then there is no greater privilege and no greater opportunity to focus on Jesus than through participating in communion together. In Luke 22:19, we read, And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Can we now eat together? In Luke 22:20, 20, we read, In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Let's drink together. Let's pray. God of our hidden depths, in honest regret, in trust, we confess our faults and recognize our frailty. Show us that we are forgiven so we may forgive. Touch our wounds with your healing so that we may be people who heal. Help us to be at peace with ourselves that we may become makers of your peace for others through Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Amen.
You said.